This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. Yeah, Sherry, Mott. Yeah, so you mentioned speed for sure, uh, but the, also the detail in their game. You like, you know, you got a you got a young guy coming in who's just drafted out of college, whatever. They're kind of deer in the headlights a little bit, uh, working hard. But those guys, they kind of understand the game and where to go. So you show them some of your. Uh, structure and systems and uh, they pick up on it real quick so that's kind of fun you know and see what they can bring to the table and and I think what you said the biggest element is the speed you know getting on people that will help everything from our forecheck to our D zone to especially our PK. Actually I was quite pleased to be honest you know it's been four uh, pretty tough days and a lot of information handed out and then they got to go out there and perform and I thought uh, a lot of the usual suspects, you know, stood out, which was uh, which was great. I thought the new guys were they looked like they fit right in. So it was uh, nice inner squad scrimmage. So, um, but the guys competed hard, and that was great. Ah, oh, I miss those intros. My goodness, I've missed everybody. Yeah. I it's missed you, partner. Here. I know. it's. The, we I, saw I, each other once over the summer. We did. We did. We really just kind of. It was not a social. Away. It was not a social call either. You know, during. Yeah, it was the transference of dance gear from <laughs> a dad who's got that in the rearview mirror to the dad who has it up on the next exit, I think. Who is, who is going to be doing that for the next decade. Yes. Let's put it that way, right? <laughs> But it's, it's great to be here on the show with you. And Steve. Steve is back. Yeah. I mean, you know, we are we could form our own line. And we are back. And it is the official start of the hockey season for us as the Lightning are underway. A lot of people, partner, had some questions in the offseason about the Lightning, what the team would look like. And starting today, you know, we're really going to start to find out those answers. Are the Lightning better where have they improved some of the newer players that are coming in to pick up the slack from players who are no longer here the lightning have gone through a lot of changes over the last couple of years that's to be expected when you're dealing in a salary cap era we are going to hit home that topic probably a lot this year but i think more importantly i think that for the lightning to stay competitive and more so than just be competitive but to be considered an elite team there are going to have to be a few things, partner, that need to fall into place. The The star players are going to need to continue to be really good. But I think maybe more so this year than in previous years, you are going to be looking at what does the bottom six do? What does that back end do beyond your top four? I think the goaltending, you know, look, Vassy is, is who he is. But I, I feel like, and we're going to talk to Brian Engblom about this coming up at 12.15, and we're going to be taking your questions as well at Atbolts Radio. But for me, I know people want to talk about Steven Stamkos and some of the comments he had a couple of days ago about the contract and, and where that stands. But And we have time to get into all of that. Which we will. Yeah. But I, I think for me, when I look at this Lightning team, the the teams who go through what the Lightning are going through right now, which is you're really successful but then you get to a point where you can't keep everybody and you're constantly making changes, particularly to your bottom six. How effective are those players year in and year out? Because I think oftentimes it will determine how far you go in the playoffs, injuries notwithstanding. And I think for me, 
that's going to be the biggest thing I'm watching this year. We can start in training camp, and I think it's going to be an ongoing evaluation. But for a team like the Lightning, who's already been successful, but who's had some roster turnover, I think often of the teams that have been put in their situation before, and the ones that have had resurgences, where maybe they don't win the cup every year, but they're able to get back to where they were maybe when those star players were in their prime, oftentimes you go as far as that bottom six. How productive can they be? And maybe more importantly, partner, making sure they're not a liability. You don't want to be a team that's basically a three-line team. You want to be able to roll four and get production. I think for me that's going to be one of the the most intriguing aspects of this Lightning team heading into the season. Well, look, the Lightning made some changes during the offseason, and a lot of the changes are related to exactly what you just talked about, the bottom six. So let's start on defense because there was less transition on defense, but they couldn't keep Ian Cole based on the amount of money he made last year. So he's now in Vancouver, and they brought in really the the third pairing left D as they're running the D in, in practice of the early part of training camp looks to be Calvin DeHaan. That doesn't mean it's going to definitively be Calvin DeHaan all year. I mean, you also have Hayden Fleury in there. You have eight defensemen, right? You have four righties and four lefties. And if we look at Bogosian and Fleury as a righty and lefty on the quote-unquote fourth pair, and I'm not saying that they are the fourth pair. I'm just telling you kind of if you if you make a mental image of, of how the D have looked when they've kind of run them how we would expect maybe training camp to start or the beginning of the season to start. Hedman Perbix, Sergachev Radish, Dahan Chernak. And then you have Flurry Bogosian. Those are your eight D. So what changed? Ian Cole for Dahan. And they re up Darren Radish. Not a significant amount of change on the blue line. And I think a lot of that is due to what Perbix and Radish showed last year. Perbix the whole year and Radish after he came up. There was a lot more going on at the forward position. And and we should mention the backup goalie. So Jonas Johansson was brought in. He's younger than Brian Elliott. I think they feel he has upside potential. We will get into the whole Vasilevsky day-to-day situation. But we're in week one of training camp. He wouldn't have gotten any games this week anyway. We'll see how much Johansson ends up playing in the four games this week, but that was another change. Forward, there were significant changes made, and a couple of them were related to the Lightning's tight cap squeeze in that they wanted to keep Alex Kalorn, but he had the opportunity to make more money and maybe longer term, I don't know, but he went to Anaheim. Anaheim was able to pay him what the Lightning couldn't, and I think this for sure was uh, a player that was a cap casualty, quote-unquote, was Ross Colton. He was a restricted free agent with arbitration rights, and the Lightning knew that they couldn't pay him what he was probably deserving of getting. So they moved him to Colorado. They got a draft pick, a second-round pick, which they didn't have a pick in the first round or the second round before they they made that trade. So they, they acquired Ethan Gauthier, who's in camp right now. So those are the two that were kind of taken off last year's roster. 
maybe all things being equal, they wouldn't have been. But when you mentioned the cap situation, I think that that's related to the cap situation. But there were three other players, and two were at the end of their contracts, Belmar and Perry, and the Lightning said bye. And Pat Maroon had a year left, and he was traded to Minnesota. So what do we make of this? What we make of this is... My dogs are very excited to hear what I have to say. I can't blame them. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what we make of this is that, particularly as it related to the fourth line, Belmar, Perry, and Maroon, the Lightning wanted to get quicker, and they wanted to get a little bit younger. But not so young that we're talking about what Rob Zettler was talking about, like first, second-year pros. They're not talking about guys they've drafted and are just new to the NHL. They're maybe new to pro hockey, and they're getting a chance, and they're going to be on the fourth line. This is not that. The Lightning made it a concerted effort to bring in guys who have NHL experience, especially NHL experience, not just pro experience, who are in their kind of mid to late 20s, early 30s, but they're not mid to late 30s. That's the difference. And so when you talk about production from the bottom six, what I heard from Julian when, when they made these signings, and specifically we're talking about Luke Lindenning, Connor Sherry, who, who's probably not going to be slated on the fourth line. He might be more of a Colton Kalorn spot, <laughs> maybe in the top nine, maybe in the top six. We'll see how that plays out. They brought in Josh Archibald and then decided he, he wasn't going to play this year, so they signed Tyler Mott, who's definitely a guy who kind of fits in that role. Austin Watson has been brought in on a PTO in camp. He could be a guy who fills that role. And Logan Brown is another guy. Austin Watson and Logan Brown are bigger, whereas the other guys like Mott can fly. Sherry can fly. And I think what I heard from Julian when, when the Lightning made those signings during the offseason, Greg, was they aren't looking for those guys to be huge producers in terms of goals but they want them to be hard to play against and they want them to bring pace. So like, as we go through this year, would we love to say, Hey, Luke Glendening scored 15 goals this year. Like the year that Corey Perry scored two years ago, what did he score? 19 goals or something. I don't know that the lightning really are feeling they need that from the fourth line, but they don't want minus 20 minus 25 from those, those bottom six guys and specifically the fourth line. And what that means is that even more is going to be asked of the top guys. More is going to be asked, and they I don't know if I should say more is going to be asked, but they should go into the season with their eyes wide open that they are going to be doing the heavy lifting. Kucherov, Point, Stamkos, Sorelli, go down the list. The top guys are going to be asked to do the bulk of the production. Whereas some of these guys that were brought in are brought in in large part to to be a pain in the rear end to play against and and have the puck in the offensive zone. And to not be a liability. And that's exactly right. Not and be I a think, liability. You, know, you mentioned Glenn Denning. I mean, Dan, I love Glenn Denning. I know you do. And I mean, the Lightning like... finally have a real faceoff specialist. And with they, no disrespect to the other guys, but Glenn Denning is a guy who's in the high 50s. I was going to say, he's borderline 60%, and I feel like we've heard yeah. his name a little bit coming to Tampa Bay over the last couple of years. Now, that could be just rumor mill talk, but certainly 
you can understand why the Lightning would be interested in a guy like that. Now, he's been a minus player throughout his career, but a lot of that, look, at the end here with Detroit, he had a really crooked number at minus 29. You have to take that for what it is, but if you value if possession... The team, like, where is he in relation to his teammates, right? The that's whole correct. team was minus. But the face-off numbers never declined. Yeah. And so if you think that's a valuable asset, Dave, which we think it is, particularly... Penalty killing, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've got to think, I haven't seen him play recently. I understand that. Let's Let's wait to see what he looks like but he's almost one of those guys dave unless his skating has really fallen off and he just can't play anymore i've got to think you know what you're getting from him and he's exactly the type of guy you would replace belmar with on your roster because he's a veteran he's won but more importantly he can win face-offs which means you can put him out there in a lot of difficult circumstances and there's mm -hmm. a really good chance and six you're coming attacker up. six yeah. attacker against here's the thing greg a lot of teams their top power play unit and, by extension, extra attacker situations, a lot of times that centerman is a lefty. So on the power play, the power play team gets to choose which circle the faceoff is at. So most teams, the Lightning are one team that is the exception with point and stamp goes. Usually one of them is taking a power play faceoff to start on the, their righties. But I feel like most teams have lefties starting which means that if you're the penalty kill team if you want your centerman to be on a strong side you need to have a righty and so the lightning have used stamp ghost in that role the last couple of years but what they really want is for stamp ghost to then win the face off they get it down the ice and stamp ghost gets off the ice but if they lose the face off stamp ghost is out there really in a role that he's really out there to take and win the face off he's not out there to spend 40 seconds killing a penalty or longer because they want him for power play. They want him to take his regular shift. Now you bring in a Glendening who is a righty. So let's say Glendening is going to be the guy that, that takes that face off to start the penalty kill. If he wins it, and he wins six out of every ten <laughs> in, in terms of his average, great. If he loses it, at least you have a guy who is slated to kill penalties already out there. You know what I'm saying? I do. I 100% agree. And it's interesting, too, because there is that conversation. What do you want from that bottom six? Is it going to be a little bit more skill? Is it going to be harder to play against? Is there going to be more grit? You can be hard to play against and still be small. Connor Sherry, I think, fits that mold. Now, look, yeah. I don't know where he fits in when we talk about uh, the Lightning because he's a guy that Dave throughout He his does have career, more offensive upside, I think, just based on his history. And he can play with top players. Um, yeah. You know, my sense is I think in a perfect world, Sherry would be on a third line where he can provide some speed in that secondary scoring, although I think he needs somebody to drive play for him. He has a tendency to have the puck kind of explode off his stick. And because of his size, he's not somebody that necessarily is going to drive play a ton, but he can use a speed to go in on the forecheck. And he's got enough finishing ability where I think if he's put in a position with a centerman who can maybe get him the puck in some right spots, I think he could be effective for sure. I think it's going to be interesting to see how he plays out. I know we've got – do we have Brian? I don't want to talk over uh, anybody uh, regarding the next point I was going to make. But I was going to say uh, the one guy – I mean, for me, it's, it's almost a no-brainer just because of what the Lightning gave up for him and potentially the upside of what he, he can bring would be Tanner Janot. Right, who they did resign. Who they did. Yeah. And let's face it, guys like Janot and Hagel, same thing, long-term deal. 
Um, Hagel, I think, has established himself as a as a top six guy on this team. Hagel's going to be one of those other guys that I didn't mention who is going to be looked at to produce. That is correct. Um, but I think Jano as well. And it's going to come from that bottom six. And maybe we'll find out what type of production we're really going to get from Jano. But I think, you know, when you're, you're talking about obvious guys who you're counting on, I, th- I think Jano is one of those guys probably who would tell you, and Brian Englum joins us here on the show, he would be one of those guys that is expecting himself, I think, to produce offensively in addition to being the gritty player that he is. And Brian joins us here on Real quick, uh, Greg, the one other guy we didn't mention who does fit this mold of of speedy kind of depth forward (laughs) prototype is AC Mott, who they they brought back. So, I mean, we talked about the fourth line. We may see Mikey AC Mott on the fourth line, and he does bring speed. So that was definitely a concerted kind of direction the Lightning wanted to go in during this offseason, not just the guys they brought in, but the guys they kept as well. That's a good point. Brian Engblom joins us on the show. First off, Brian, it's great to be with you. I don't like these long off-seasons because that means the, the Lightning had a short postseason, but it, it was good to get away, kind of recharge the battery. And I've got to think, uh, as somebody who played the game and was in that position, when you have a long off-season, you got a lot to think about, don't you? Yeah, that's true. Um, and that's a good thing. Um, as well as resting, I think, you know, reassessment from one year to the next for every player and for every coach is important. I mean, that's what the coaches get paid to do, right? They're reassessing right every day. But at the end of the year, of course, they're looking at all the analytics and everything else and what should have gone better. Well, the players are doing the same thing and they are they have to be realistic with themselves. Was it a good year? Wasn't it? You know, what uh, what things they have to work on. And uh, the great thing for them, which I envy greatly, um, is that they get they get a breakdown from the coaches and uh, and from the entire staff about wh- what literally do you have to work on, you know, body wise. Do you need more strength? Do you need more power? Do you need more explosive power? Do you need to get faster? I mean, and then they have a plan. Here's what you have to eat. Here's how you have to train. And those things are all broken down for you. So if, if you if you follow the plan and you have this much time in the offseason, you are going to be a better player when you come back. And then the rest is timing and fitting in with the team. That That's a gigantic uh, advantage. And every player has it now. And, and everybody on the Lightning had a chance to do it for longer this summer, and it'll make a difference, believe me, especially by the time March and April and the playoffs roll around. Brian, we spent the first 15 minutes kind of looking back at, at the changes the Lightning made during the offseason, and, and clearly the biggest one was directionally they got a little younger and they got a little speedier in terms of their depth forwards. What did you make of that decision to, to kind of move on from the Maroon, Perry, Belmar class of players and, and kind of move to the Glenn Dennings, the Mots, Sherry, who may be playing up from the fourth line but, but still fits that same bowl? What did you make of that? Well, as much as we love those guys, all three of them on the fourth line and their contributions to the cup teams, and God love them for that, and, you know, they'll have that uh, – you know, in their back pocket for, you know, the next, uh, for the rest of their lives and for the rest of their career. 
um, you know, depending on how long they were here, but it was a necessity. Um, they had to get faster. There was too much of a drop off. Pat Maroon's not fast. Belmar Perry, they're not fast. They brought other things which were important to the team. They were a big part of the, uh, the locker room and the bench. And, and yes, on the ice too. I mean, certainly it wasn't all bad. They had a lot of games where they were the best lines on the ice at times because when they got the offensive zone, they could really sustain it. But when the, when the game got stretched against them, um, and that's what teams started to learn against them, and certainly in the playoffs, Toronto, and that's the, that's the big difference maker. In the playoffs, you're going to play a minimum of four games all the way up to seven. And so everything is dissected. And what happened was... They had to be careful. Coop had to be careful about when he could put them out there because they would stretch the ice very quickly and they're a fast team. And so getting those three guys back on the back check was difficult just because they don't have the speed of you know the, the top guys or most guys in the league. And that was a disadvantage. It just had to happen. You know, the, the famous expression, father time is undefeated. Um, that fits for those three guys. So they are still in the league. They are still going to be useful playing on three different teams now. It shows you the value that they still have. But as far as the lightning goes, they had to get quicker on that fourth line, and they did it. Brian Engblom joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. Greg Linnelli with you, along with Dave Mission. Glad you're with us here. I mean, Brian, we talked about you know the first 10 minutes, and obviously this will be a, a theme moving forward. Maybe the the biggest question mark for you regarding this Lightning team as we enter into the regular season and and hopefully into the postseason, is there something for you that that is sticking out? Is it is it the obvious? Maybe how are they going to replace a couple of key veterans who left Ross Colton to a lesser extent, still being a, a younger player? Is it you know dealing with Steven Stamkos's contract heading into the regular season, or just being a team that's you know the salary cap is is maybe catching up to them and they're going to have to find ways, different ways to get that depth moving forward. <laughs> could, could you repeat all those choices? Or for all me, of them, please? right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It, it certainly is a little bit of all those things. Let's deal with the Steven thing, first of all. Look, Steven Stamkos has earned the right to, apparently he was not happy that they didn't contact him over the summer, read the contract. Okay. He's earned the right. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's been here his entire career. Um, so he said it and I'm sure that, and he'll be asked about it in every city he goes into early on because it's not going to die. It was big news as we know. Uh, it also was, uh, the management, uh, Julian's responsibility because he's the one that was asked. I thought he did a terrific job of stating his case as well, too. We are the management. We, we acknowledge what Stephen has done, who he is, et cetera, et cetera. And we will, we will, you know, get to that and we will deal with that. Mentioned the salary cap, all the obvious issues. And I thought it was, it was, uh, he wasn't angry. He wasn't over the top. He was very matter of fact. He didn't raise his voice. And I don't think either one of them did. So they understand each other and that's business. And if Stephen chooses not to, or the team, I'm, I, I took it. And if I'm wrong, then I apologize. But I took it that Stephen, and I've heard it from agents and players before, I, I don't want to deal with this during the regular season. Okay, well, if you say that, then you have taken away that option for the team. And in today's game, 
I don't know of a player, or maybe there's a couple, it, that are actually doing their own negotiating. Not very many, I can tell you that. So it's the agents. And, of course, the agents constantly getting back to the player. I get the whole thing. I don't want to be distracted, all that. But if you say that, that you don't want to do it, then you have put yourself in that situation as well. Okay, so that's a two way street. So now you are going to wait till the end of the season. And that is of your doing, because I would think that it would be possible to have a discussion here or there with the management and the agent over the course of the season if you're both amenable to it. So anyway, that's my opinion on that. It's a two way street. I don't worry about it a whole lot. If it was somebody else other than Steven Stamkos, it might be, you know, like somebody who's uh, volatile and is talking all the time and is upset and is an instigator, that kind of thing. And we've seen that in history. That's bad. I don't think this is that big a deal. And sometimes having things a little edgy on a team is okay. Because, you know, the comfort zone and keeping everybody comfortable, yeah, well, that's really great. But the NHL, even in October, is not about playing in comfort. It's about handling stuff. So everybody handles their stuff. So, okay, that's, that's enough on that. We could go on for, or I could for another 15 minutes. But basically, that's how I see it. Lots of stories. How are the fourth line guys going to look for sure? Um, how is... That you know the six seven defenseman, which is important. Who's going to be there? Who's going to get the time? Is Vassy's you know number of games going to be cut back um, at all? Maybe by one or two, I'm guessing, but probably not by by much. How's Johansson going to be in the backup role for sure? Uh, the power play and the penalty killing power play, they, it was good. They get lots of opportunities. They did stuff. Um, you know, is Sergi or Victor Hedman going to get most of the ice time? That's curious. And I looked up some numbers here. We can touch on that afterwards if you want. Um, and the penalty killing, which I think has to get better. Those are things that I look at this year. Brian, I'm curious to get your thoughts on Perbix and Radish hitting into this year. And is there going to be pressure is the right word? I'm not sure that it is. But to basically maintain, if not exceed, the level that they set last year, which, let's be honest, I mean, it's a smallish sample size. Pervix has spent one year in the NHL, and Radish has moved into the top four based on 17 games last year in the regular season and a good showing in the playoffs. What What is going through their mind heading into really their second NHL season Radish has been a pro player for longer, but you know what I'm saying in terms of the highest level, what is going through their head as they want to make sure that they don't dip in the second year? Well, hopefully not getting too far ahead of themselves. If you know, the aim is to get better and better all the time. Everybody says it. It's the most obvious thing. What else are you going to say if you're a player? You know, I'm not going to say, well, I hope I'm just kind of mediocre this year or take a step back. So they, they are pushing forward. Radish first. Yeah, he came on at the very end when they really needed him to. I thought he did an absolutely terrific job in the playoffs when the pressure was on. I thought he played really well, and he got a ton of minutes, especially when uh, Victor was banged up and missed the game in a lot of different situations. He fit right in, and he just pushed. He came into the team with a lot of confidence because he had a great year in the American League. He was full of confidence with the puck. And if you can't play with the puck on defense in the NHL now, you can't play. 
You have to be quick enough and fast enough, which he is. He has learned the game because he's been a pro for a couple of years, as you pointed out, Dave. But he was confident doing his job, which means moving the puck. And as he had more games under his belt, he was moving in from the blue line. He was taking some shots. And I think he has that capability. He could be sneaky good this year when it comes to scoring a few goals and really putting a threat from the blue line in in the offensive situation. I'm really interested to see if he takes that ability that he showed in the American League and pushes it forward in the NHL. I certainly think he's capable of that. The same is true with Perbix. Perbix just all the tumblers clicked in and give him a ton of credit because we've talked many times about Victor Hedman and what an incredible player he is and how he's not the classic, you know, skate forward, stay on your side, back up backwards, stay on your side kind of guy. The top players in the game now and really forever have been sort of all over the ice because they can and because that's what makes them great. Their instincts are right 98% of the time and you let them go. If Victor wants to charge across to the other side of the ice and make a play and blow it up defensively, then let him do it. Which means that if you're his partner, you got to figure that out. Not only what's coming at you, but what's Victor doing. And Perbix did that pretty seamlessly. Some guys don't don't see it. It makes them nervous. Uh, I'll use Eric Chernak as an example. We've talked about this. Eric is more of a classic guy. It doesn't mean he can't play some with Victor, and he's going to. Just you know, a sheer fact of line changes on the fly. But he's the classic. Up, you know, stay on your side, play sort of old-fashioned way, for lack of a better description. That's why he and McDonough were so good, because McDonough played more like that. So Perbix, I asked him, and he said, yeah, I had a couple of partners in college who played similarly to Victor, so I'm used to it. And it didn't bother him. He just shrugged his shoulders like, all right, and it, it showed. So that is an interesting thing of chemistry on defense. That's a necessity. And Putting square pegs in round holes doesn't work for the player or for the team or for the coaching staff, and that's their job to sort it out. Perbix sorted it out for them, and uh, Radish sorted it out, fitting in with Sergachev for the most part very nicely. Brian Engblom joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. Tanner Janelle, want to see what, what he can do? Kind of how comfortable you would think in the Lightning system, and we talk about that bottom six as somebody who could potentially provide that yes uh he'll be very interesting to watch he is feared in the nhl believe me he's got a reputation when he wades into the pile after the whistle's gone wherever it is and he starts eyeballing somebody in the other team there are a lot of guys that take a step back and not a step forward tanner Janot is well known and he is more than happy to drop the mitts if he does it two or three times in october he probably won't have to do it again until march that's an important factor pat maroon was really good at that really good i said it countless times he knew how to bring his teammates into the fray when things were just kind of meh, mellowing out and was going sideways for them and they were sort of lost. Well, he has a talent for that. He, he knows how to do it. He'd skate by the other bench and say some great stuff, you know, and get everybody all riled up. That's a talent Pat Maroon has. Jeannot does it a little more subtly from what I can see so far. He doesn't talk a lot. He's got that thousand-yard Messier stare, like, you, you want a piece of me? And everything is said silently. 
and then the mitts come off and then, you know, I'm going to cave you in sort of thing. And that travels a long way. You have to be able to back it up whichever way you're doing it. But you should know will be important in that fact. We saw him score over 20 goals two years ago. Last year, he didn't get there. I talked to him a couple of days ago, and he was uncomfortable, admittedly, um, trying to fit into the system. The Lightning system is it's intense. They have answers for all three areas of the ice in all different situations. This coaching staff is sharp. And they demand a lot from the players. So the playbook, for lack of a better way to describe it, maybe that is the best way, is you got to know the playbook. Where are you supposed to be in different scenarios? And then, of course, you're trying to fit in with different line mates and, and, and feel at home on, on your line, whatever that is. And Tanner, I think, struggled with that, certainly. It took away from his offense, no doubt about that, and the numbers show that. So... He feels better coming in. He figures he feels more well-adjusted. Mikey uh, Asamont said the same thing to me, basically, that it was difficult. And I've heard it before in past years, guys coming in saying, hmm, okay, I, I got to do my homework here so that I can get up to speed on, on what they do here. Um, so starting from scratch and having the, that time under their belt, both Asamont and Janot, will be farther ahead. What will that mean for guys like Connor Sheary and Mott and, and some of the other players that have come in, Luke Glendening? They're going to go through the same thing, but at least they get to start in training camp. Brian, the, the preseason, it's like two preseasons, right? A lot of cuts come after the first four games, and then the final three, it's closer to the NHL roster. But in this first week, the Lightning typically, as they again will this year, play four preseason games in five nights. So you're going to see a variety of different players play. What is management hoping to learn from these these four games as far as the players who are getting into these games? Um, how quickly you adapt? How much confidence do you have? That's where it starts there. Show me. Show me something. That's basically what, what every coach is doing. Show me. Do you... Th- do you think you can play in the NHL? Your movements and are you hesitant? All those types of things, they show immediately to coaches who are on the ice with them. They've talked to them. They've had them in meetings. They've seen them in the drills, but then ultimately get them in the games and go, okay, are you are you just tiptoeing your way in? Or are you jumping right in showing, hey, I want to play here? That is ultimately the bottom line. And they'll get a, a feeling for that pretty quickly. And you don't get many chances. If, if you played in Syracuse the last year or two, you'll get a little bit because you have a history with them. You're coming in from college, from junior, whatever. And now you've gone through the camps. You'll get a little taste. But if you don't show something pretty darn uh, maybe spectacular uh, or slightly less than spectacular. You, you, you better show something really good and go, okay, let's, let's give them another look. But you've got a long road here. This is a very high-end team, and there aren't very many spots there. So realistically, where are you going to fit? And if you are a scorer, do you think you're going to move Stamkos or Kucherov or anybody on the top nine out of there? No, of course not. So you're probably not going to be a fourth line guy. And these guys are realistic. They know, yeah, I'm going to Syracuse. And then you have to fight to be in Syracuse. Otherwise, you go to the East Coast League. 
right? So you constantly have to be putting your best foot forward. And that's what the coaches are looking at. Real quick follow-up, if I could, Greg. So one guy who accomplished what you're talking about last year was Perbix. Because I don't think that anyone felt that he was slated to play almost 70 games in the NHL. He made it to week two, started the season at Syracuse, but was back up by game four. From what you remember, like, particularly on defense, like how can a defenseman kind of raise the the attention or catch the attention of management when you're not a scorer, where you're a defenseman and, and, you know, you're playing a different sort of game? Composure, body language. That's it. And that's what Perbix did. He's smooth. He gets to the puck. He makes a decision and he moved the puck quickly. He didn't mess around. And they went, hmm, he makes decisions. Doesn't make mistakes. You can't make mistakes back there. Not a lot of them. And that's what he did. And that's what I still like about him. Some of that, it's just smart. You know, coming out of college, like, okay, I'm not going to mess around. I'm not going to try to show him I can go, you know, take the puck and skate my way out of my own zone, try to beat a couple of guys when I'm not supposed to be doing that. Get the puck. Who's open? Move it. Is it my partner? Move it. Great. If he gives it to me, what's my next alternative? See a guy open on the tape. Boom. Simple as that. Reading the rush. Obviously very important. What's coming at me? Do I have back checkers? This is basic stuff that you've been doing your entire life. How do you sort it out? Where am I? What's my partner doing? Who's the most dangerous guy coming at me? Are they attacking me? How do I force the play to the outside or make the proper play? If the puck, if the play is coming towards my partner, sometimes that's even more important. How did I read where I'm supposed to be? Did I know who the most dangerous guy coming at me on the other team? Who who was that? And do I have him covered or do I have help? All those things. That's a lot, but it's it's concise. It's decision making and then being precise with the puck. And Nick Purbitz, who moves very well, he's smooth. That's the best description. He's smooth and intelligent. And that got him the job. This question came from Lucas on Twitter, Brian. I wanted to share it with you. He said, looking forward to some new interesting lines to watch. Would love to see ABB come in and cement his spot on the roster with a confident preseason. What do you make of that? It's his time. Um, He's got a couple of years under his belt. He's been a terrific American Hockey League player. He's kind of coming to a crossroads here because after a few years and you don't crack an NHL team, You know, some guys become really good AHL players, but just can't quite get it in the NHL. And he's one of those players. And the the game is so specific now as far as your role. And he's a top six, probably, type of player in the NHL, okay, top nine. He's he's not a fourth-line guy. He's not going to be a checker. He's small. He's skilled. When he comes up, they gave him some power play time which is really tough on a young guy still, and he is. Inexperienced, he's very young. And you go, okay, go out there, let's see what you got. And you're in you know, the skilled positions, and you're, you're you know, gripping your stick a little bit. It's, it's tough for him. But that's where he has to shine through. He's not going to be a fourth-line checker. First of all, he's, he's too small, and so you don't want too much you know, lack of size on a fourth line as a rule. And that's just not the way he's geared. He wants to puck. He wants to make plays. Who, who's he going to take out? Who? 
that you know that's that's always the question. Well, it's well and good. Yeah, he's a good player. Whatever. Who's who's coming out? Hagel, Paul, Point, Kucherov, Stamkos. You know, like what? Where? Who who's coming out? And where does he fit? So he needs to be a third line guy, and that's where they will try to slot him, I guess. And then that means he's probably playing with Nick Paul and whoever. You know, a new guy maybe. Uh, so yeah, there's pressure. And I think he'll get a shot. And then the chemistry and what he does, he'll be on a game-by-game, week-by-week situation, I would think. And, you know, he'll have to produce, not necessarily scoring goals, but doing what he does, which is make plays. And, yeah, if he gets a chance, score. The first thing I know that the, I, I talked to Stacy Roost a little bit, um, you know, the first day or two, and his uh, Barry Boulay's name was brought up, and he said, skating's better, skating's better. And that was an adamant point and something that like he was just sort of an average NHL skater. And when you're small, you you have to be better than average. And he's also got to learn to be way stronger on the puck. Like Braden Point is a small guy, right? Relatively speaking. But on the puck, he is a monster. Like try and get it away from him. And when he's fighting for it, he's going to win a lot. Barry Boulay is more sort of has been playing around the edges, trying to get open, trying to be smooth. And when you're playing around the edges, you don't fool the coaches. He's got to stick his nose in there. Last one for me, Brian. Uh, you did take a trip down to Estero for the rookie tournament. The Lightning were involved in. You saw a couple of the games. Uh, who stood out for you? And, and what did you make of, of the games that you saw? Uh it was good. It was intense. Uh, players, of course, the coaches are looking more at systems. Like, are you paying attention to what we showed you? And, you know, you didn't have a whole lot of time, not a lot of practices. Are you going to the spots on the ice without the puck? How are you playing without the puck? Okay, that shows up to the coaches more. What I'm looking at and what I did in those couple of days, Dave, was look at, okay, who, you know, who stands out? Like, who's moving the puck? who made bad mistakes for sure in coverage, that's going to show up more to me, but who made some plays? Groshev and uh, Merrilla, those are the two guys offensively who stuck out the most and most consistently. Groshev um, played, what, in KHL at a couple of different levels. He played in the K a little bit, and then he played in there the equivalent of their American League team, I believe. Uh, So he was up and down. But, man, every time he was on the ice virtually, something was happening. He was really aggressive, like he really showed. What I was talking about earlier, about what you have to do in training camp, Groshev was like, okay, I'm showing you. I'm I'm going for it here. I'm making plays. I'm in the right place. Uh, that last game against Florida, the score could have been Groshev five and Florida three. He could have had five goals. I think he had one for sure on a breakaway. He had three or four breakaways. So, I mean, that shows you that he – he was in the right place. He was doing the right things. Very noticeable. Now, that gets attention for sure. And then, uh, well, Terry uh, Merrilla, who uh, played in the uh, Finnish league, he's got size. He, he's a little older, too. He's a couple of years older than some of these other guys. What, he's 22-ish, something like that. I don't have it in front of me. But same kind of thing, um, especially from the red line in offensively, uh, inside the blue line, certainly just knows how to sort of slink around, get open, pretty good in traffic, made plays, dished the puck off, and he finished. He, he scored some goals. The three-on-three tournament prior to that, he scored some big goals. Really good release. Looked like he had an NHL release. And again, a guy who showed that 
that uh, um, you know he 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 wants to be noticed. So those would certainly be um, my two that um, that I liked up front. I kind of like that Lilleberg. I said that to you, Dave, the other day mm-hmm. uh, on defense. He's, he's long and lean. His skating is, you know, it's not great to look at, but he's got that reach and he had that that threat defensively. I mean, when guys were coming at him or in short, small spaces in his own zone, like he had he had movement to his game, like he'd sort of threatened with reaching out with the stick and he played a long game. In other words, He's reaching, but without losing his balance, making guys commit farther away from him. So I, I, I like that. That shows me that he's got some moxie about how to handle guys one-on-one. The rest will be experienced because he's a European player, but the smaller ice surface didn't seem to bother him. I think by Christmas, you might have a real player there. We'll see how he adapts to the physical style. But as far as reading the play and everything, and, you know, they'll work on his skating, whatever, maybe get a little smoother, maybe pick up half a step. That might take a year or so for him. But they're just, you know, he had something that that I liked uh, playing defense. But And so those would be the most guys. But just before we go, and I know you guys are under the time constraints too, one of the things I sort of wanted to talk about was, for a minute if we have it, is the, the power play this year. And the Sergei Hedman situation, right? Who's who's going to play the most? Because it seemed, Dave, as as the as the season went on, right? We saw more and more of Sergei, right, on the point, mm-hmm. uh, more than Hedman. The, the minutes actually are not that far apart, um, and they played almost same number of games. I think it was three games more for Sergachev. He played two. Sergachev played two hundred and two minutes, rounding it off on the power play and Hedy 197. So only about five minutes difference. I looked at the goals for Sergey was on. This is on ice, obviously not him scoring, but 35 goals scored when Sergey was out there. 28 goals scored when Hedman was out there. The scoring chances and uh, pretty close, pretty close. And I won't rattle off a bunch of numbers. It's too difficult. I'm this saying is power is, play, power yeah, play this only is strictly, strictly power play. Yes. And even the expected goals, uh, the scoring chances for all within, you know, a pretty comfortable, safe range, like not much difference between the two. But then what I started doing was how did Sergey and Hedman compare to other guys, other big names around the league on defense? Now, Edmonton had the best power play by far, right? So Tyson Berry had he was on the ice for for 56 goals. He got traded to Nashville. But he was on the ice for when his team scored 56 goals on the power play, most of that in Edmonton. And again, Sergey was on for 35, so 35 to 56. That's, that's the extreme amount. But also Tyson Berry played 64 minutes more than Sergeyev or Hedy. So that's more than an entire game on the power play, right? And uh, another comparison, and again, without getting too technical, Quinn Hughes – from what I could see, I just started using big names. I went Quinn Hughes, Burns, Riley, Carlson, Dougie Hamilton, Fox, McCarr, those guys, right, that we would know uh, that would play a lot of minutes on their power play. Quinn Hughes, Quinn Hughes played the most from what I could see on a power play. He had 321 minutes on the power play. 321. That's 120 minutes more than, than Hedman and Sergey. That's two full games more on the power play. <laughs> it's crazy. 
So, and then Fox was next, not surprising, in, in with the Rangers. And then uh, Eric Carlson with San Jose. So they did well, but they sort of split it compared to those guys. Now, Kale McCarr, Kale, Kale McCarr was down, but he only played 60 games. So, and he was still like in sixth place minutes-wise. So you can imagine if he played 82 games, he probably would have been number one, right? Because he skates so easily. But my point is, Who's going to get the majority of it? I guess they'll probably split it again and, you know, go, okay, who's hot right now? We'll put Sergeyev out. We'll put Hedman out. Um, does it affect the chemistry? Yeah, but not a lot based on the numbers. Things change. They're both left-handed, right? So it's easier to feed Kucherov on the right side because they're on the forehand than it is to fight, you know, to feed uh, Stammer because they have to pivot and make that pass which, by the way, hurts Stammer a little bit, right? Because he doesn't get those passes from a right-handed guy that uh, um, Ovechkin did all those years with Carlson, especially when Carlson was healthy. It's a big difference, you know, for taking a one-timer off of things like that. So a lot of interesting things there, too, including the Hedman-Sergachev situation um, on the power play and who's going to play the most up top. Brian, this was a lot of fun, sir. We always appreciate talking hockey with you. You were our first guest to start this new year, so I know you're very honored about that. And, uh, <laughs> I, I certainly to... am, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we look forward to catching up with you at the rink. And, and, uh, we'll and, do and right soon. now, just so you're going to say, a oh, bigger name on the other line. Hang on. Just, sorry, <laughs> yeah. we <gotta> go. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I was going to do, but I didn't want to say it. No, I'm sure. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Attaboy. Thank you, Brian. Well, you should. Thanks, guys. We See appreciate ya. it. Yeah, Brian Engblom, our, one of our favorites, if not the favorites, and uh, always enjoy his insight when it comes to the Lightning partner because I think has that unique perspective, played, mm-hmm. broadcaster, but I, I think Brian's pretty honest in his assessment, which I yeah, think a lot of people, is. I think you and I can appreciate. And he's going to be doing the game in Orlando with me, which I'm certainly happy to to have happen, and Heck when yeah. I learned that, I was happy to learn it. Heck yeah. That's no a week from tomorrow. That. Anything that he said that you wanted to touch on before we get to maybe some tweets? From our, well, look, what he finished audience. with, I think, so it wasn't like Hedman played the first half and then Sergachev played the second half. There was a rotation there, and I think it was tied to some degree to – how the players were doing with their overall game. You remember at the start of last year, the Lightning were giving up all of those shorthanded goals? And they yeah, finished sure. among the league leaders, dubiously, in most shorthanded goals allowed, but they didn't keep up the pace that they set at the start of last year. Like, they gave up, I, I'd say, about two-thirds of the shorthanded goals that they gave up all year in the first third of the season. So they, they got it under control in the last two-thirds of the season. But Hedman was out there. It wasn't always his fault, but he was out there for a lot of those at the start of the year. And I think that opened the door for Sergachev to to take over as the defenseman on the top unit. So it was not necessarily related to like who's doing the best job of scoring goals or getting assists or anything like that. I mean, I think it had at least at the beginning of the year, it had something to do with what was happening as far as the shorthand of goals allowed. But it's not like Sergachev then had that spot all year. So I think that that's going to be an ongoing story. And maybe Brian's right that it's going to continue to be a rotation based on kind of who's going and maybe how the power play is going too. I think that's 
I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, Basil says, I've been very optimistic about this season, but when the Stamkos contract became an issue, and now Vassie's hurt, is there a real reason for concern? Well, look, we have all week to get into uh, those are topics that probably demand more than nine minutes, whatever we have left. But I will try and address both of those as quickly as I can. And Brian touched on the stamp ghost contract in, in one of his answers. So if Vasilevsky is going to miss time, significant amount of time, some amount of time, or he plays the same amount as he did last year, which is to say a lot, but is battling through something, and it affects his ability to be Vasilevsky, then yes, that is, a, that is an area of concern. We are not at that point yet, though. He is not really a guy that usually plays any of the preseason games in the first week, so we'll monitor it. That's really all we can do, and that's probably what the Lightning are doing. They want Vasilevsky to be healthy, and if it means that he has to play a little bit less, I think that they will, they will do that, right? And they brought in Jonas Johansson as a guy they feel has upside, say upside potential, he's 28, so it's not like he's 22, but I think they feel that he can take on more in the NHL than what he has had to take or been able to take to this point in his pro career. So we'll see. I mean, we don't we're not privy to the discussions that are going on between the the training staff and the coaching staff and management. All we know is that Vasilevsky is not skating right now. He is day to day. We'll see if he gets in next week and then we'll we'll kind of assess his performance and and see how he plays. You know, it's funny. I think if you want to get and then we can finish with the stamp. I just wanted to make one comment and maybe this is kind of where I am with with Vasi without understanding everything when it comes to his status. Even if he didn't play any preseason games but was slated to play the opener, I'm not sure I'd be concerned. I think that's just where I am. I understand there could be some rust involved. Right. Maybe I'm looking more at the big picture. I don't think Basil is concerned that he doesn't play any preseason games. I think Basil is concerned that he's dealing with an injury at the end of a longer-than-anticipated offseason, and, and why is that happening? Is this something that's going to linger through the year? And we just don't know. I don't want to speak for you, Basil, but I'm guessing you you were in agreement with Greg that you don't really care if he plays any preseason games. I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think anytime you have a situation like this, you don't want to speculate. But outside of, you know, the Lightning being concerned um, and, and shutting him down, control what you can control, know what you know. If even if Vassy was perfectly healthy and they decided to have him just play one preseason game, I'd, I'd still have a lot of confidence in what he'd be able to accomplish, even if he didn't play any. But I right. understand that's just something we're going to have to monitor from here on out. I, I can't say I'm I'm concerned though. At this point, Stamkos thing, it is what it yeah. is. I, mean, I, I don't know. I, my thinking is once you get on the ice, you don't think about it. You think about winning and that stuff takes care of itself. You know, maybe I'll give like a number I'm thinking in terms of what I think is fair for Stamkos uh, maybe later in the week uh, when it comes to his contract. Because I think it is fair to say what he made previously I don't think is possible making now. 
I think that's a fair point. Yeah, The Athletic did an article, and, and Joe Smith was involved, and in I think there were three writers. So they had kind of the cap person, they had the analytics person, and they had Joe, who obviously knows Stamkos really well, and they were targeting him for a contract that, that actually maxed out what he's making now. And I, I think you're right. Like, the Lightning just don't have the flexibility to, to do that. But I think that's what what this goes to the heart of, which is Julian Breezebois needs more information about not only what the cap is going to be at next year and kind of to the best he can read the tea leaves as far as beyond next year. Cause let's, let's be honest. Like I think they'd like to give stamp a contract that will, I mean, he has said he wants to play his whole career with the lightning and I think the lightning want that too. Does that mean the next contract is his last contract? What does that term look like? I don't know. But I don't think they want to give him a one-year deal, right, where they're like, well, we know we can make it work for next year, but then we'll revisit this after a year. That that I don't think would would make a lot of sense for, for either party. So if that's the case, I think Julian needs to get a better idea of, of how this looks moving forward beyond next year, where it is a year that – you're hearing early speculation that the cap is going to go up more than it has since COVID, which would be good news. But then the other part, and Julian mentioned this, is like he has to make an assessment about his team. Now, a lot of the core guys are locked up. And I'm, I'm going off the top of my head here, but I'm not sure that beyond Stamkos and then Hedman is up the year after that. Beyond those two guys, the core pieces of this team, they're all locked up. But how much he can kind of offer to Stamkos, like, I think he needs more information. That's what I got from what Julian was saying. And he's not going to get that information until he can make an assessment of what the team looks like this year and kind of what the cap situation is going to be looking like league-wide maybe by the end of this year. That was what I took out of what Julian said. Stamkos, and he even acknowledged, he's like, I can understand where Stamber's coming from. I'm sure he'd love to have a contract heading into this last year. He's like, we're just not in a position to, to, to be at that point yet. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said on the, the media day last week. And we'll have all week and all year to talk about it, assuming it doesn't... Right, and Basil, you can, you can write us back for tomorrow's show and like when you said you're concerned, are you concerned about the contract... Will they be able to re-sign him? Will he be willing to re-sign if, if he has to wait a year? Or are you more concerned about, like, what will this do to Stamkos in this year where he's in the last year of his deal? And I don't know I don't know which part of that, or maybe it's both, kind of had you concerned. But you can, you can tell us, and we'll do our best to address it. First show's in the books. How about it, partner? Yeah, Love back it. on the bicycle. Yep, good stuff. All the way around. We Tomorrow's a game day. Yeah. So we're leaving for Raleigh in the mid-afternoon. So yeah. we'll have our show, and then I'll head to the airport. And it's yeah. Lightning Hurricanes, first preseason game for both teams. Love it. We should have a game roster by the show. I Usually they – I mean, they do. I, the players who are playing will know. The game group is actually skating, I think, at 10 o'clock or so. So we'll have an idea of – um who's playing in the game tomorrow by the time we go on the air at noon. Cool. Partner, great job. It's great to be with you again. Yep. A lot of fun. Likewise. Talk to you tomorrow. Steve Ersnick, thank you, buddy. And uh, thanks to Brian Anglum. And thanks to you for listening 
It's been a while, and we appreciate you. We'll be back at it again tomorrow, noon to one, right here on Lightning Radio.